Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Well, amen. Good evening. Aren't you glad love lifted you? I certainly hope so. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles tonight and look with me to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Corinthians. Last week, we finished up our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and so this evening, we're going to begin a new book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, and what a tremendous book it is. Now, we're going to begin tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 11 verses uh, here this evening. As I want to begin, I'm going to give you an overview of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And then, as we move forward and ahead, we will uh, go uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and dig into this wonderful, wonderful book. But I want you to get an overview so you'll kind of have an idea of what will be coming up, what we'll be dealing with within this book, and then uh, we'll be uh, wrapped up this evening. But the Bible says in verse number 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by Him in all utterance, and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye perfectly join together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Contentions among you. I want you to notice, though, in verse number 9, I think one of the things uh, you you can mark anytime you see anything like this in your Bible, I think you ought to mark it, circle it, highlight it, underline it, uh, draw great attention to it. Just this one phrase here in verse number 9 where the Scripture says, God is faithful. Aren't you glad we have a faithful God tonight? I mean, He is faithful. He's faithful to deliver us His Word. 
He's faithful to speak to our spirit and deal with us and deal with issues. And uh, here tonight, again, I want to give you uh, just a brief introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians. So let's pray, and we'll jump right into this tonight. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much in how much you do for us. God, as we think about your love and your kindness, uh, it's so overwhelming at times. But Father, we are grateful tonight that you have preserved your word and that you have set aside this time in our life that we might learn from it, grow from it, and, and grow in the nurture and admonition of your word. And Father, that's our desire tonight as we uh, introduce this book, that you would increase uh, our knowledge. But Father, as, as our knowledge may be increased, uh, Father, we ask that our walk would be strengthened Uh, that our uh, way uh, may be pleasing to Thee. And Father, we'll certainly give You the honor and glory that's due Your holy name tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Well, we're going to jump right in here and give you, just like I said, a brief overview of this book. Uh, I think any time you begin a book study, uh, it's, it's really a good idea to kind of get an overview of where you're going to be going and what you're going to be doing. So uh, I want to give you some of these things tonight, and we're going to look at about uh, six or seven key areas within the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. The first thing uh, that I want to uh, introduce to you is the author, of course. In verse number one, the Bible says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothosthenes, our brother. And so you'll notice in Scripture, uh, especially in the epistles, uh, we typically see the, uh, the writer or the identifier of who is giving the book. Who is giving this letter? Of course, that's different in our culture today. Uh, we typically sign our letters at the end. Uh, We don't typically identify ourselves in the beginning. Uh, But as I was sitting uh, looking at this and considering the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, thinking about this, uh, can you imagine tonight getting a uh, personal letter of not one, two, or three pages, but of multiple pages? I mean, we consider the book of 1 Corinthians how it has 15 or 16 chapters uh, within it, and all of this Paul is writing as one letter uh, to this church, and he's delivering this. And we know, uh, obviously, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul is writing. The year is roughly 56 A.D., as Paul is writing from Ephesus, and it's toward the end of his third uh, of or third of three uh, missionary journeys. And Paul, of course, went out three different times uh, from uh, the church, and uh, he came back on two different occasions to report. And now it's during his third missionary journey that he is writing. Now, this church of Corinth uh, that is present here uh, is a church that was established by Paul uh, during his second missionary journey. And during this second missionary journey, Paul spent uh, the longest amount of time with this particular church, uh, spending almost right around 18 months 
uh, establishing this church. This is the church where we find Paul uh, being a tent maker. Uh, as the church was getting off the ground, uh, Paul was making tents and he was taking uh, place in that. But it's during his second missionary journey that this church had been established. And again, Paul has been traveling outside of this church uh, since then. Well, now he is writing back. And he is writing back for a particular purpose. Now, within this readership, um, this church at Corinth was a wide range of cultural influences. Um, if you were to think about uh, the city of Corinth today, if you could uh, compare it, uh, it would be compared to uh, really any large city in the world. Of course, Corinth was a uh, province of Rome. Uh, it was actually the uh, fourth largest city within the Roman Empire. Uh, so you can consider tonight, if you're going to uh, take a look across America uh, and try to compare, of course, we know uh, if I'm getting this in the right order, I believe I am, but New York City uh, and the five boroughs there being the largest uh, city and then second followed by, uh, by Los Angeles, uh, third by Chicago, and very quickly uh, being, uh, being rapidly chased by Dallas-Fort Worth area, I believe, uh, as the fourth largest. And so you can imagine the great number of people uh, that lived there. But it wasn't just the great number of people that lived there. Uh, they had, again, very wide range of cultural influence there. Uh, of course, Roman uh, Roman influence being there. Uh, you had some Greek influence. Uh, you had uh, Italians uh, as well as Jews, Egyptians, and even some Oriental uh, influence within this uh, city of, of Corinth. Uh, very interestingly as well about the city of Corinth that I think is interesting anyway, uh, especially during this time, uh, you, they held uh, each year the Isthmus, or the Isthmus Games, uh, the precursor to the modern-day Olympics. Uh, of course, the Olympics going on right now. I don't know if any of you are watching it or anything like that, but uh, it started uh, within this city of Corinth, uh, and they held games there. Uh, they had uh, within their culture, and this is something else that I think it's very important to take note of, um, because we, we look around and we study our culture, we study our society, and, and man, I will tell you, uh, I, I'm 43 years old, and uh, over the last probably 20 years, uh, we've seen a large, major uh, cultural shift uh, across the world. And uh, we look at that and we say, man, uh, times are bad. Uh, and I will tell you, times are bad. Uh, but I will also tell you this, that uh, as Solomon said, that we learned in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. If you were to study the city of Corinth outside of a biblical vantage point, uh, you would find uh, within their culture, uh, there were many uh, bars or taverns and much, much drunkenness uh, that took place uh, within this city, within this culture, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians and during this time. Uh, Corinth was the home uh, of the temple for the Greek goddess Aphrodite. 
Uh, of course, that was being held there, uh, known as the goddess of love. Uh, and part of the worship within the temple of Aphrodite uh, included temple prostitutes. Uh, and as we consider uh, this today, of course, it makes much more sense uh, when you consider the Apostle Paul having to spend 18 months within this city. He had to set some things in order, you know. Uh, of course, coming out of that type of a culture, that type of a background, uh, Paul was busy setting these things up and discipling and teaching uh, in all of that. Uh, it would be similar. I don't know, again, uh, what you know about starting churches and that type of thing, but uh, to go into a city, a large major city like uh, New York City or Los Angeles is going to be much different than starting a church uh, in a rural area of Ohio. Uh, or in the Bible Belt of the South. Um, there's just going to be differences uh, that we don't even know uh, about and that it was taking place there. And Corinth was no different than that. And so that's the place or the readership uh, that was taking place there. Uh, but let's talk next about the purpose of the writing. Uh, anytime you find a letter coming in, uh, there's always a purpose. Uh, usually we don't write just for the sake of writing, and that was no difference in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he had, uh, in verse 11, you can see where he says, or actually go back to verse number 10, uh, verses 1 through 9, of course, is the introduction uh, to that, but he says in verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And it ha for it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So it is obvious here and very plainly spoken that the purpose of this letter concerned uh, some problems and difficulties that were taking place within this church. Of course, we don't have the writings from the house of Chloe or the conversations recorded uh, by the Apostle Paul, but we know that Paul had been getting some reports. And of course, Paul was very good at communicating with the churches that he had been in and had helped them greatly. And one of the things that he was getting reports of was that there were some problems within the church. And he's encouraging them here in verse number 10 that they be uh, perfectly joined together and of the same mind and in the same judgment. He's talking to them about a unity that needed to be in place within this church. And then, of course, he identifies uh, the, uh, the difficulties or the, uh, not the reputation, I'm lost for a word here, uh, but basically the report that had been declared to him uh, by Chloe and those that lived with her. And so you can see uh, within this, and you'll find as we go through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul is going to identify uh, the problems within the church. And as he identifies these problems, he's going to extend to them some doctrinal teaching and exhort them to maturity in their belief and practice. And so if we were to uh, title or give an overview type of a look uh, to this book of 1 Corinthians, uh, it, it would have to be uh, the conduct and order within the church. The conduct and order within the church. 
of course, these folks, uh, we, we have to uh, sometimes give a little bit of leniency to, if you will, uh, for I consider uh, this church at Corinth, of course, if you, as we read through and you'll see uh, that there were many problems within the church. But I want to remind you that within this church that had these problems, that had these difficulties, many of them were brand new Christians. They didn't have a clue uh, about uh, much of Christianity and uh, they did not have the advantage like you and I. Uh, most of us had the advantage of being uh, raised in church. They didn't have that. And so that's one of the reasons and the purposes uh, for this writing of the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, I'm going to give you a, a very uh, broad overview of an outline for the book of 1 Corinthians. There's really two main sections uh, within this book that Paul deals with and that he addresses. In chapters 1 through 6, Paul is going to address the problems of the church. He's going to address the problems of the church. He's going to talk about the divisions uh, that are there. He's going to talk about uh, the discipline uh, that needs to be established and needs to be taken uh, within the church. He's going to talk about uh, how to handle disputes within courts and within a court of law. And he's going to talk about the defilement of the world. Now, uh, that's the first six chapters. He's going to deal with these problems that he's addressing here in these two verses, and he's going to deal with them. He's going to deal with them very plainly. He's going to deal with them very directly. And uh, some may even uh, say possibly even a little harshly. Uh, sometimes when you deal directly, people don't always get that. Um, but Paul was dealing with and he's addressing the problems. Then uh, in the last half of the book, really a little bit more than half the book, from chapter 7 through chapter 16, uh, the church had uh, some questions. Uh, they wanted to know about. And very natural, very, uh, you know, very interestingly though, uh, they had questions about a myriad of topics. And Paul is going to address them uh, within the chapters uh, from chapter 7 through chapter 16. Uh, one of the things he deals with is questions about marriage. Uh, what, what does God have to say about marriage uh, and even divorce? Uh, he's going to talk about uh, liberty. Uh, they had some questions. What are we able to do? Uh, what can't we do? And one of the things that I find, uh, again, of great importance uh, is the, uh, and, and really sometimes even an amazement to me, is how often we focus on what we're not able to do uh, rather than what we are able to do in Christ. Uh, but we, when we focus in on that, it just gives a totally different aspect and a totally different opinion uh, when we consider, oh, well, we're not allowed to do that. And, and Paul is going to address some of these things about Christian liberty. Uh, then he's going to address uh, some things about church conduct. Uh, church conduct. Uh, again, how do we behave in church? How do we behave within the services? How are we to uh, behave with one another as Christian brothers and sisters? Uh, and he addresses that. He also talks about spiritual gifts. What about that? Uh, you ever wondered about tongues? Uh, well, he addresses that. Um, and he answers those questions. Uh, there were also some questions about the resurrection uh, not necessarily the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, he addresses that, but also what about the resurrection uh, of the believers? 
Uh, what's going to take place there? And so he's going to answer those questions. And then he also answers some questions about giving. Uh, what is uh, the New Testament model of giving uh, to the work of the Lord? Uh, of course, we have a great model within uh, the Old Testament and how that was done within the Jewish system of the temple. Uh, but what about giving in the New Testament? Well, they had some questions there. And Paul uh, gives uh, some answers within uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. And so we'll be looking at that uh, the, uh, in the coming weeks, of course. Um, but I want you to look at, if you will, if you have your Bibles open still, look at chapter 6, because uh, I want to show you a couple of things here uh, that I consider to be uh, some of the key verses uh, and the key passages within this book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 6, of course, uh, we find uh, these verses, you've probably heard them before, um, but uh, you shouldn't be a stranger to you. But he says, what, in verse number 19 of chapter 6, he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? So he asks this question, what? He says, don't you know that your body is the temple of of the Holy Ghost, and you are not your own. Verse 20, he says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glory or glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, which are God's. What does that mean? Of course, he's talking about some sinful things in chapter 6 here, but he stops and he summarizes. Don't you know? What? Basically, when somebody's saying this, it's kind of a rhetorical question, basically saying, I know the answer, you should already know the answer, but your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I mean, what great teaching we have here as he reminds them and reminds us that we've been bought with a price and that we ought to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. Some key verses there. And then if you'll flip over to chapter 15, uh, so another passage of great importance, of great doctrinal teaching and great truths of the Scripture um, in chapter 15 as he talks and says, so verse 54 or 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So in this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Again, he asks a question here, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Here again, Paul is giving some great doctrinal truth of even in the afterlife and in our eternal life and what is happening in our lives today in connection with the afterlife again, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor, your labor is not in vain 
in the Lord. Paul is going to deal with some key things within this book concerning correction. Uh, as he sets some correction things up in here, uh, he's going to deal with, again, we have the great chapter in chapter 13, that of charity and love and how we're to interact with one another. He deals again with the resurrection. He deals with the cross and the body uh, and corruption. Uh, within this, he's also going to deal with uh, spiritual wisdom. Uh, how should we be applying ourselves here? He's going to deal with the Lord's table, uh, how it should be conducted, how it shouldn't be conducted. Uh, he's going to talk about God's design and desire uh, in marriage. Uh, again, chapter 13, the great chapter on love. Uh, he's going to deal with that. Uh, he'll deal with, again, the offerings uh, and concluding the book. But within this uh, book of 1 Corinthians, uh, again, Paul spending 18 months here, spending longer than uh, any other place during uh, his three missionary journeys, um, he is going to uh, try to establish a way, a way that this church can uh, come together, a way that this, this church can have a spiritual unity. And if anything, within any church that we might be a part of uh, over and in our lifetime, our desire ought to be just that. That there would be a spirit of unity, not discord, not disunity, uh, but that there would be a unity that would come together. Well, how, how do we do that? Well, we have to understand what the Word of God says. We have to understand and know what God put forth there. And what do we do when there's not unity? What do we do to get unity? And Paul deals with these things within this book of 1 Corinthians. We have some additional things here as he goes in and deals with uh, tongues. Uh, he deals with how to, how, to, how to use tongues. How should they be used? Um, again, we, we think about tongues today, and of course, we, uh, we shy away from and say, oh, no, absolutely not. And of course, we know and we'll see a different dispensation of time as God was moving and working and still showing signs. And one of the signs He gave uh, was the sign of tongues. And you'll note, uh, as we'll learn here in the coming chapters, that when Paul deals with speaking in tongues, he set it up in a particular way. He set it up in a particular manner. He, he set up the, uh, if we could even call it this, the rules and regulations of how to speak in tongues. And he said, if you're going to do it, it must be done this way. You'll also take note that as we study, and we'll learn here in the coming weeks uh, concerning tongues, that when tongues are spoken today and used today, uh, it, I, I would dare say at least, uh, and I've been in services, don't get scared here, um, but I've been in services where people have spoken in tongues. Not a biblical time. I've visited some different services from time to time, and people speak in tongues, and you look and you compare it with Scripture, and you say, wait a second, wait a second, this isn't what the Bible says. So is that of God? Does God contradict Himself? No, he does not. And so we can look at, a, at the modern day tongue movement and we'll bring uh, some of that to light as well uh, within the modern day tongue movement, how it's used, where it's not biblical, why it's not biblical, and uh, we'll make some comparisons there. 
Uh, but we have to do it according to Scripture, amen? And that's what we want to do. We want to set some of these things uh, in place and in light. And so uh, that, uh, I hope, is not too overwhelming to you as we introduce uh, this book. Um, but uh, we're going to wrap this up tonight uh, just to remind you again in verse number 9 of chapter 1 where the Scripture says, God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. And I love the wordage there. It doesn't say God was faithful. It doesn't say God will be faithful. It says God is faithful. That's today. Was He faithful yesterday? Amen. Will He be faithful tomorrow? Absolutely. But He's also faithful today. Faithful today. Don't want you to forget that. God is faithful. He was faithful to preserve His book. He was faithful to preserve this letter that we might learn from it, grow from it, and glean what is there in the Scripture that will allow you and I and Bailey Road Baptist Church to mature in His Word as we get a better and greater understanding of this epistle from the Apostle Paul to the church that was at Corinth. That is the introduction to the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's bow for prayer tonight, shall we?